comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. DCTV Podcast, episode 16. Covering all four shows tonight, um, we have Constantine, Quid Pro Quo. We have Gotham with Welcome Back, Jim Gordon. Flash with The Sound and the Fury. And uh, Arrow, Midnight City. Which, wasn't that a Cars album? Or no, that was Heartbreak City. Anyway, uh, joining me tonight in this uh, pursuit of all things DCTV are uh, Felix Faust's uh, high school chaperone, Chub Toad Rich Sheldon. Yo, and the uh, the fashion designer for the Pod Piper in all of his garbs and outfits, the fashions of Mister Daryl Taylor. Yes, my leather pants are chafing. You kind of look like he'd been uh, raiding uh, Doctor Doom's wardrobe there with the green cloak and all that stuff. He sure did. But uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. As I said, we're covering all four shows tonight, so let's go in order. We'll start with Constantine, uh, quid pro quo, the introduction of Felix Faust into the Constantineverse. I guess mm. that's what we can call it. A sickness is descending over Brooklyn, and uh, children are coming to it left and right and center, including Chaz's daughter, Geraldine. Uh, they're all going into comas. Constantine crew uh, decides to sit out and find out who or what is doing that. They uh, meet an old friend of theirs, a medium named Fennel, uh, who runs an army named Surplus Store. Not too happy to see Constantine. He decides to help them out. Any, anyway, for Chaz's sake, go to a seance in the medium uh talking through Geraldine's voice to Chaz, and then um, as all of a sudden the voice changes to something a little more malevolent, Fennel floats up in the air and then bursts into flame. We also see there are a couple of flashbacks in this episode, too. We find out kind of the origin story of Chaz, how he got the way he is. It turns out the night he was out drinking with Constantine, and Constantine you know, just drunkenly cast the spell on him as a joke. Uh, in the middle of a party club that they're at, pyrotechnics of the, the metal band catch it, uh, the entire club on fire. And people die all around. And, you know, Chaz is trying to help them all. But he passes out and wakes up. And it turns out that, I think it's, what, 59 people died in the fire? And because of the spell that Constantine cast on him, you know, in his drunken state or whatever, it was a, uh, a legend. It was a, a spell that uh, Merlin made up to cast on uh, King Arthur's uh, warriors. So if someone fell in battle, they would, you know, grab, you know they would uh, garner the strength of their soul. So that's how Chaz ended up the way he ended up with uh, 58 souls, you know, housed in, in one chassis, as he puts it later in the episode. Basically a supernatural Mario who got a bunch of one-ups. Sure. Or just, you know, somebody used the Konami cheat code on Contra. <laughs> I have to tell you, I mean, this entire episode was great, but all the flashback stuff in his story, I think, was probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Well, this is Chaz's episode, really. We find out how, you know, working with Constantine all this time has kind of poisoned his marriage. 
and kind of, you know, ruined in a lot of ways his relationship with his daughter. Um, and, you know, we, there's that one great flashback scene where he comes home and he's late for his daughter's birthday. And, you know, he's like, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but I had to help John stop the Monkey King. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. And I looked it up. It was 47. And it was around 50, right around there. Uh, anyway, they uh, they trace the death of Fennel back to um, an old mage named Felix Faust, who uh, John Constantine classifies as the second banana, a, a um, like a, a, an assistant to some of the greater mag- magicians of of his generation. And uh, Faust is now, you know, because now that the great darkness is coming, he has the power that he always dreamed of wielding all the, all those years. Faust says he will make you know make them bargain if they can find this demon that is feeding off some of the, the psychic energy that he is drawing from the people in comas called a a Kibazian, uh, that he will um, free Geraldine's soul in return. Constantine sends Chaz home to be with Renee and Geraldine. He and Zed go off. They trap the Cabazian after, you know, Zed using herself as bait. Uh, almost goes horribly wrong, of course, because it's Constantine. They go back to Faust. Uh, Faust says, um, you know, tells him, well, I, I said to banish him to hell. You destroyed him. So you do not, you know, live up to your end of the bargain. Chaz has had enough. You know, he, he's tired of jumping through hoops for Faust. You know, Constantine tells him to, to wait it out, to, you know, to let, you know, wait till they have an advantage over Faust. Chaz is tired of waiting, knocks Constantine out, locks him in the back of the cab. He goes back in with Faust. Barter, he's willing to barter the 27 or so, I think, or no, it's 31 he has left. 31 souls he has left. Um, uh, he's willing to barter them for uh, Geraldine's soul. And, he, and you know, Faust doesn't believe him, so as a demonstration, Chaz cuts his own throat and dies right there in front of Faust and then comes back. That's a great party trick. Sure is. I would, I would, yeah. It's the kind you can. Most of us can only do once, though. Was anybody else? Was anybody else waiting for Faust to just start ringing a bell? Yeah, right. Like I forgot <laughs> to mention, yeah, that it's um, that that Faust is being played by Mark Margolis from uh from uh, Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, very recognizable voice and and face on that actor for sure, and he he's really good as Faust. I really enjoyed that. Oh, I loved him. Yeah, he was good. Anyway, um, as Chaz is about to make the deal, Constantine and uh, you know Chaz's wife walk in, and Chaz double crosses Faust by using this thing called the Achilles heel, which is impervious to all magic. It's a, bind, a, bind, uh, a binder, and it binds him to Faust, and he pulls a grenade, drops it on the ground. Uh, Constantine's like, "Fine, we can do it your way, Chaz." To explode. I have a question: Were they insinuating that? Not that it was called Achilles' heel, that that was actually part of his Achilles, like part of the sinew. That's at least that's what I got from it. I think that's what they said. Yeah, that it was. I was like, now, yeah, I was like, that is a cool artifact to have. <laughs> Very cool. So. Also, um, I, I didn't realize this till later, but in the um, on on Faust's table, uh, an Easter egg that popped up later that somebody pointed out on the DCTV podcast Facebook group. The uh, the wheel, the jar, and the bell from one of the very earliest uh, JLA, I think if not the first, maybe the very first or second appearance of the Justice League of America, uh, the three demons are, are summoned by those items uh, that they have to go after. Oh. Cool. Anyway, a little Easter egg there. So Chaz explodes Faust, and when with, with Faust dying, all the, the spiritual energy goes back to where it's supposed to be. Renee doesn't realize that Chad, this is the kind of self-sacrifice that Chaz had been going through to help other people all this time. 
Um, she really just kind of, you know, thought that, you know, he was just denying his own family of origin. Actually, he's, you know, been literally giving up his life over and over again to help other people. Chaz finally kind of regenerates, comes back home. You know, I think uh, it seems like his wife has a better understanding of him, and, you know, better appreciation of what he does. And he shows his daughter a binder full of photos of, of the people that he's helped over the years. And he knows each and every story. Zed, in trying to um, make a second connection to Geraldine while she was under Faust's control, uh, kind of had a, a seizure and psychic feedback and ended up in the hospital. Constantine checks in on her, tells her that she blew a fuse, you know, in, in layman's terms. And she tells him that uh, she saw his mother and that his mother had told uh, her to tell him that his her death was not his fault. And that's how we end the episode. Well, it kind of showed how Chaz is and explained a little bit more about why he can take damage when no one else, you know, more damage than the average person can and uh why he feels the need to have to help people even when it costs him his family now does he get any kind of a healing factor like if he doesn't die but he takes a lot of damage is there something supernatural there or is it he just has to heal as normal i think he heals faster than he has to be that he heals faster than the normal yeah you'd have to probably coalesce some way you know somehow like mm-hmm. you know the parts are, i mean yeah, blown apart into bits. All those bits would have to kind of, you know, coalesce together somehow. Yeah. I mean, John Constantine said something in the episode to the effect of it, it depends on the severity of the death, uh, how long it takes for him to recover. Oh, okay. I, I guess, yeah, I missed that, I guess. But I would imagine there'd be some sort of healing factor involved because, I mean, you know, the scene he cuts his throat, and then he wakes up, he's able to breathe, you know, and stand up and stuff. Yeah. So I would imagine there'd be some healing going on there. Well, I just didn't know if it required a death for him to heal. No, I think he kind of in the kind of thought of as already dead. Maybe you guys have read more of the comic than I have, so I, I don't know. I think it's more like uh, like Wolverine's healing factor back in the '80s as opposed to Wolverine's healing factor nowadays. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, he would back in the day of Wolverine, you know, would get burned up or hurt or whatever, it would take him a while to recover, like a day or mm-hmm. two to recover. Whereas, you know, now he can take a nuclear strike directly to the chest and be okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Or be torn in half in that one comic. And Now, if I remember, was it the spell that Constantine did when they were at the bar? Did that yeah. go wrong? Yeah. It was a spell for that Merlin had written for protection mm-hmm. uh, for the Knights of the Round Table. That, you know, if, if anyone died in their presence that they would draw on the power of their souls. So he did it as a joke, and when that fire happened in the bar, all those people died in, in Chaz's presence, so he was able to manifest the power of their souls in himself. Well, Constantine was like three sheets to the wind drunk, and I don't even think we realized he was doing it. And So, yeah, it, he wasn't even being serious, but it worked. <laughs> no, he was messing around, and uh, that's what happens. And that is a Constantine trope. Right. Do you guys get the sense that at the end that there's a chance of reunification of Renee and his daughter as a family now that she's seen what he goes through and what he sacrifices to do what he does. Definitely. I think that's kind of the, where they were going yeah. with that character arc this episode. I mean, if you yeah. see at the end, you know, where she's talking to Constantine, she's like, you know, I had, I had no idea. And then him, you know, with the idea of that photo album of all the people that he's helped and showing and passing that mm-hmm. on to his daughter, I think that's kind of the idea. Well, I know in the book he he breaks up and I mean it it happens numerous times. Like he would go back to normal life and then he would wind up right back where he started from being with Constantine again. And you know sometimes Constantine would try to get him to not 
you know, be with him because he knew hanging out with him, eventually you're going to get, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And he wouldn't listen. And bad things would happen to Chaz. But, uh, you know, that's that's just the way their friendship yeah. is. Yeah. The, the other question I had... And I don't know, is Faust a character from the comics? Yes. 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 It's like going yes. back to the Silver Age of DC. Okay. Uh, it used to be like a character from uh, the Silver Age. Uh, oh, wait, is that, that Faust? Yeah, Felix Faust. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he was, in the, he was in the cartoon. He was in the Justice League. He's been, I mean, he's been around probably since the 60s. I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I for, yeah, I remember a Faust. I just yeah, it didn't dawn on me, because I'm really hoping that this is not the end of that character. I hope if Constantine gets to continue, that we're going to see him again down the road. Maybe it's you Faust. know conjured he, up, conjured uh, up from hell or something. I don't know. Faust has been killed numerous times. Like if I, they kind of really, I don't think they throw away the comics as much. It seems the show seems to really like the source material from comics and one of the things is it's magic you always can come back oh magic. yeah Faust has been back so many times as a ghost yeah. and then as yeah. I know his spirit in the car, in the cartoon his spirit inhabited uh, this like war, war machine created by the Greek gods kind of like the destroyer but created by mm-hmm. the Greek gods and uh, uh, Felix Faust first appeared in the original Justice League of America series number 10 uh, March 1962 when he tried to gain some of his lost magical abilities by contacting the Demons 3, the three fictional demons of the DC Universe, that's who I was talking about, uh, who right. were for the wheel, the bell, the bell, and the jar. So. Yeah, when you have magic, it, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is not going to be the only time. Well, it's not just that I liked the character. I liked Mark Margolis. Oh, yeah. The character, so. He's, he's yeah, awesome. He's a good bad guy. Just a good actor all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that was Constantine this week. Ratings have been on slight upswing, so who knows? It's still up in the air as to whether we're going to get another series, uh, season. Oh. This seemed pretty fast to me. Did the episode kind of go kind of quick to you, even though it was a yep. natural time? There was a lot in it, though. You know, I mean, there was, it was, but was it just seemed to. It was so fast paced, like it didn't didn't do the by the numbers type of thing. Like Chad, well, and- like. We're not going to do a bargain at the end, and then it's going to be that. That's <laughs> like we're going to get it done right now. Well, and not just that. I think that, you know, anytime you're enjoying something a lot, it's time's going to move quicker in your mind. And I, there was so much of this episode to enjoy that, I mean, I, I'm with you, Daryl. I, I, it felt like I had just started it and it was over. So, yeah, it was a, it was a fast paced thing. And plus, They've already established me liking Chaz, so anything with his daughter, I'm already concerned. Right. So I'm already in it. Like I'm, you know, like you want Chaz to find out who the heck did this, and you want him to take care of this dude right away. And he and did. the nice, and the nice thing is the episodes did not suffer any quality storytelling or anything <laughs> like that. Um, by doing it that way, which no. to Jim, to Jim's point last week, when he, you know, when he talks about it, it would be a shame to lose this because it is such a good show. It's not just that we love it because it's a comic book property. It's, it's really a good show. And this was a good example of that. Yeah, it was good. It was, a, it was a cool episode. I did enjoy it. 
Hello. Let's move on to Gotham. Uh, the 13th episode of the first season. Welcome back, Jim Gordon. Another fast episode, too. Yeah, there was another episode with a lot in it. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we start with Fish Mooney strapped to a stretcher. In, I guess it's you know, Falcone's uh, top secret uh, torture area. <laughs> and oh, yeah. uh, but the guy who introduces uh, her, himself to her you know, is Bob. I will be torturing her today, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was pretty funny the the exchanges between them. Oh yeah, uh, as the, the the episode went on, we then uh, we then cut to the uh, the police station where Bullock and Gordon are called into a uh, crime by Arnold Flass, uh, who we, we met briefly last episode, but we really meet in this episode a lot. Uh, the three meet with a, a night janitor named Leon Winkler, who uh, says he saw the murder and he's willing to go down to the police station and talk to a sketch artist and testify. As soon as that guy did that, I knew something was going to happen to him. Oh yeah. yeah he's oh like, yeah. Well, my wife always says, if you don't stand to step up, you're stepping back. I'm like, oh boy, something's gonna happen to this guy. As he's uh, waiting in one of the in one of the interrogation rooms at the police station, uh, someone comes in and stabs him, uh, kills him right there in the police station. We we then cut to you know, Gordon and Bullock uh, there. You know, five minutes later after being the body is discovered, Enigma uh, states that the, uh, the the weapon used on him was an ice pick and has a hexagonal groove on it, and it's the same weapon used in the murder that they were investigating before that the witness saw. Gordon suspects the cop is involved. Essen and Bullock try to talk him into, you know, not going after any of the cops because it's going to be a nightmare. We then cut uh, to uh, Bruce and Alfred, who are back from Switzerland, and uh, they run into Ivy on the street, and uh, Bruce uh, sends a message to Selena through Ivy, along with a $20 bill. Because, you know, Ivy Ivy doesn't do anything, doesn't do it for free, right? Right. Oh, no. Over to uh, the, the Fish Mooney camp, where uh, uh, one of her lackeys has gotten free, and then uh, beats severely beats Bob, and then frees Fish Mooney. Then we uh, cut to uh, back to the police station, and Flass makes fun of uh, Nigma, who, you know, Nigma gave uh, a Kringle a, uh, a, a card, a green card, and, uh, you know, Flass made openly makes fun of him in front of you know everyone, especially you know, Miss Kringle, the apple of his eye. Uh, Gordon goes to visit Cobblepot at the nightclub, and he talks to Cobblepot, and he knows that he can't get Flass on his own, so he reaches out to, uh, you know, to Cobblepot for help. Very interesting. It reminded me very much of when Bullock went to Mooney for help on the very first episode. Right. Mm-hmm. Same here. I guess because it was the same setting and the same kind of thing. But, I mean, Gordon is really hot to take Flass and his uh, narco uh, guys down because they are basically warehousing drugs and selling them themselves, you know, using the police department as cover, kind of. Uh, Gordon meets uh, Cobblepot's mother, Gertrude. You know, Gordon asks Cobblepot if he has any information about Flass. Penguin pretty much says to him, no problem. You know, the, you know I... And Gordon asks him what he wants in return. And, you know, Penguin says, no, no, friends do things for friends. You know, friends do favors for friends, you know. That was kind of creepier than him even asking for something in return, I thought. Well, do you get the sense that the moment he met Gertrude, that, like, pieces suddenly connected in Gordon's brain of where the screwed upness of Penguin comes from? I mean, he just had this look in his eye like, that. That, that that's nice. <laughs> yeah, kudos for picking Carol uh, Kane, too, to play. Um... Oh, yeah. It's a player, I and mean, really good choice there. But uh, the Penguin tells him, no problem, I'll help, I'll help you out with this you know, information for Flash, no big deal. Zaz finds Bob at the torture spot. You know, Bob's been beaten pretty badly, and Zaz is kind of mad and just kills Bob outright and then tells Falcone that, you know, Fish is on the loose. Um, 
Bruce Wayne gets visited by Selena, gives her a snow globe. Selena wants Bruce to distance himself from her. And then she uh, tells Bruce that she did not see the face of the guy who killed her parents and that she was lying, which breaks Bruce's heart because he was counting on her testimony, of course. Yeah, it broke my heart because I know she saw it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah, I get where she's coming from, though. Um, we get um, Gordon at his desk, and uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. We we get a scene of, uh, of of Delaware, the guy that Gordon busted earlier, as being part of Flass's drug ring, sitting in a bathroom recording a confession onto a microphone onto a tape recorder while um, one of Penguin's goons drowns his wife, or like waterboards his wife in their bathtub. Yeah, um, waterboards. Really crazy. But anyway, um, soon after that, Gordon is at his desk, and this uh, the same goon comes by with a lunch bag and he goes what is this and he goes it's the murder weapon and a confession from delaware implicating flas it's all the evidence that gordon needs so uh gordon c- confronts flas right there in the um you know in the police station flas and his boys are, are standing around gordon dumps the evidence on the on the desk he's, a, he's you know i have a tape confession i have a murder weapon he basically you know he stands up and kind of makes a little speech to the rest of the cops and he said you know he betrayed all of us he betrayed this and he pulls up his, his badge he goes, uh, do you want to work with a murderer? And then as he's doing all this, and he's about to arrest Flass, uh, Essen, Captain Essen, comes from behind him. We talked about this, remember? Yes. And he's, like like Daryl said last week, he's starting to inspire people. Mm-hmm. You know, he's yep. starting to inspire the, the other cops. You saw some of them getting up, and they were kind of mm-hmm. standing around him, and they were, you know, kind of going with what he was saying. And now it seems like Essen is totally on his side because she comes out, and she's the one who takes Flash, you know, uh, takes Flash down, puts handcuffs yeah. on him, and takes him away. I see her well, dying I... in the end. <laughs> I just, I'm sadly, I see her getting killed, like, at the finale. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of cops in that department that have the same mindset as Gordon. They just haven't had the huevos to be the one to stand up. And now, like Daryl said, you know, he's inspiring, and now they're realizing, you know, we can rally behind this guy. Right. Plus, and a lot of them are a lot of them are like, you know, this is the way it's always been. Why should I be the one to change? Why should I be the one to rock the boat? Right. You know, Gordon's doing all the boat rocking for him. Mm-hmm. And you just don't want to be left out there. Like you step out, and then everybody else steps back, and then you're stuck. We get this uh, scene of Cobblepot getting drunk by himself in the club, um, kind of like you know dancing around and, and celebrating a little bit too prematurely, because as he's doing this little monologue to himself on the stage, in walks Fish, Mooney, and Butch. Not too happy with him, of course. Fish starts to beat him with a is it I think it's a baseball bat or a stick of some sort, and then uh, you know she tells she used him, it before. Yeah, she says you know you you're an umbrella boy, you're a servant. To which the penguin replies, you know, hey, this servant outfoxed you at every turn. I've been working for Falcone the whole damn time. <laughs> and she just, yeah, you know, it just makes her even more mad, you know. Oh, yeah. But as this is going on, all of a sudden Zaz is there after finding Bob, you know, uh, beaten and everything. And realizes, you know, the next place Mooney would go would be the club. Uh, Zaz gets into a gunfight with Mooney and Butch. Butch gets shot, uh, but left alive and left behind. As, uh, you know, Zaz says uh, for him and his girls to play with. Uh, right. And Mooney escapes. Uh, we see we have a scene later with Mooney, uh, her, and Bullock at the at the docks. Uh, Bullock is you know helping her out of town, helping her to lay low, and they kiss. So definitely like you know telling us some some history there that we had not seen. Well, they had kind of kissed before. Yeah, but this is more of a heartfelt thing. I th- before it just seemed like you know a little kiss on the cheek or whatever. Is, well, is I thought he cared about her. 
they, I thought that they had some type of connection before. Yeah, and then the very yeah, I think it was insinuated before, but I think mm-hmm. this is the first time we've really seen it passionately. Yeah. You know, right, right. Uh, Mooney says she's going to leave town for a little while, lay low, but then she's going to come back and kill the penguin. Bullock's like, you know, you might want to just want to leave for good. You know, go somewhere else. She's like, no, I'm coming back to get him. I mean, she's going to get her revenge. And the, one of the very last scenes, Gordon is leaving the police department after Flash has been taken down or whatever. And uh, Delaware stops him in the alley. He's like, I did real good, right? I, 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 I read it on Flash and everything. Please don't threaten my wife and child anymore, please. And Gordon has no idea what he's talking about. But obviously, you know, that's the way Penguin got him to confess and to rat out Flash. So Gordon is feeling the effects of getting his hands dirty to take down, you know, Flash, but which is the greater evil. And that's where we leave this episode of Gotham. Well, let me, uh, one little thing to throw out. I think uh, we have more of the um, Enigma uh, escalating with, you know, first with the, you know, with the, when when those guys were reading the poem that she gave her, I think she thought it was cute, but I think eventually she's going to either, she's either going to reject him outright and it's really going to hurt him or someone is going to be is going to do like those cops did and be and tease him a lot at the wrong time. And he's going to snap. Yeah. And the fact that she shows a little bit of nicety, she went and apologized, but then she's like, don't speak, you know, just right. kind of she's um, trying to be we, like, I, I don't hate you, but, you know, like I'm trying to be good to you. But at the same time, I don't want to be your girlfriend. Of course, then he gives us that Lloyd Christmas moment of, so you're telling me there's a chance. And then that's when you got to get the restraining order. <laughs> yep. Because let's get into that point. Or maybe something happens to her and he flipped. You know, something something bad happens to her and that pushes him over the edge. Even at 100 yards, I can still yell my love to you. That's what I keep telling Felicity. Um, yeah. See, <laughs> um, restraining order. <laughs> the entire thing I, I actually got to retract some of my prior comments from the prior 15 episodes of this podcast um, not only did I kind of see a little bit more layer to the Fish Mooney character but I can't remember the source I remember reading yesterday or the day before an interview that uh, Jada Pinkett Smith had done um, and talked about how they developed the character, what she brought to it, basically how that character filled out. And I get a little bit more where she's coming from. I still am not a fan of the early days of her Eartha Kitt impression, but <laughs> it's still there. I, I I actually, well, yeah, but it's not as bad as it was in those first few no episodes. it's not i'll find it at some point but it was a really good i think she it was like a press news thing i don't know but uh, i think comicbook.com may have had it i'm not sure but it was it was very interesting she talks about when she puts on that wig and and the transformation she takes and you know she gives some insight into how she thinks fish views penguin it's not so much that he betrayed her as you know you know trying to take take from her it's kind of the fact that she took this odd, you know, somewhat mentally broken and very challenged young guy, kid in a way, and, you know, brought him along to kind of mentor and all that kind of stuff. And she really showed a funny way of doing it, but. Well, like um, she did the girl. That's what she did with the girl. That right, right. Right. So, you know, it, 
I think it's not as much a betrayal as much as she's just he broke her spirit. You know, it's kind of like I put this effort into you for nothing, you know, because I also sense when she walks into the club and he's doing his little uh, self-thrown party there. I almost got the sense initially of her having some pride in her eyes looking at him, which then quickly turned to, you know, we need to do some batting practice. Oh, yeah, you you surpassed me in cunning. You know, I'm showing you how to be a shark, a cutthroat. And you did it. But still, I I still got to kill you. But you did it. Yeah, I I agree. I really like the one scene where he's by himself and he's that... um... That fishbone uh, painting mm-hmm. on the wall. He like spits yeah. the oh, champagne yeah. out all over it. Um, just, you know, those little scenes. And I don't know. I'm not going to lie that uh, when I owned my own restaurant, I didn't break out in the song by myself once in a while. So, Well, she can't. I, yeah, I guess she comes from you being a, wo- being a woman and being a woman of color. And she probably had to cut and build her way up to become who she was so you have that i mean in gotham that probably was no small thing to be a part of that you know to be a part of that gang i mean there's nobody else like her i was more surprised that that they would leave uh penguin by himself that's what i didn't get either like i thought he would have some more hired muscle than just the one dude or whatever you know exactly why would you not have security but i guess you you know you kind of have to this stuff had to happen well, at that point, he's thinking she's being tortured to death at this moment, and there really isn't anything else that's going to be a threat right then. But still, I would, I would trust him. Yeah. I, would. I agree. When he, uh, when she beats him, and he kind of starts laughing or whatever, that was a very jokery moment. Um, again, you know, kind of like last week with that kind of killing joke face. The Bruce Wayne and and Cat. You know what? I'm okay with Bruce not being on the show for like two, three, four episodes at a time. Me too. Yeah, if they bring him I in agree. every once in a while, just kind of check in and say, hey, he's still here, you know, that's fine. But that's not what the show is about for me anymore. This show yeah, is about, this show's about Gordon. This show's about Bullock. Mm-hmm. This show's about Mooney and Falcone. I kind of forgot and about him. I kind of forgot about him. Yeah, I know. When he mentioned, you know, oh, we've been out of town or whatever, I'm like, oh, yeah. I totally forgot yeah. about it. But the whole thing, we can, I don't know, I... I kind of seeing him wanting to be I like I I get it with her you know like I guess this is this is something that will happen with between them probably for years and years to come yeah I think the scenes with Bruce now I could have you know not had them in that episode it would have been fine but what I hope these little tidbits are you know is just what you're saying they're planting seeds because eventually penguin rising to becoming the penguin we know is going to happen on this show you know, mm-hmm. there are there are a lot of lines that are going to play out, and at some point we're going to want to see, you know, Ivy and 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 Selena, you know, move towards what they become. Not so much Bruce at the time, but just those two, and you know, at least the kind of the only way to tie them into the story right now is the connection with Bruce, and so it gives us those seeds now. If they start doing a whole budding romance thing with Selena and Bruce this early, other than the cute little puppy love stuff, then I'll have a problem for sure. And I'm with you, Jim. You know, we can go an episode or two or three without him. You know, mm-hmm. that they broke that up. So I, with this episode, that kind of yeah, it just doesn't seem like that's where the story is at, or that's where the show should be focused right now, because that's not where mm-hmm. the action is. You know, the action is. 
you know, Gordon single-handedly rallying a police department to be more ethical and to, to stand up in this corrupt, right. corrupt system and, you know, all the different corruption going on in the system on the Falcone and Moroni side with Penguin and, and Fish Mooney. And, I mean, that's where the story's at for me. I mean, Bruce staring at a wall full of, you know, mimeos and photos or, or pining for, for Cat or whatever. I just... Now, what if, like, for second season, they do a time jump five years into the future? I'd be cool with that. Depending on how this season ends, mm-hmm. I'd be cool with that. If we get a satisfying wrap-up to these story arcs to where we can move on, I'm fine with that. But I really think not so much the fish moon part, but all the Falcone stuff and Maroney and all that. I think that that could possibly go into another season. I, I, I would feel a little cheated if they wrap that up into a neat bow at the end of this season. So, but if they do it in an intelligent way, I'd be good with a time jump. Don't forget. We still have nine episodes to go this season and it's already been oh, yeah. for a second. So, Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I really like this episode a lot. I mean, a lot of moving parts, you know, kind of flying around here. And, you know, strong performances by all the characters that we like. And uh, Flass, like I said last week when we were first introduced to him, he's a character from Batman Year One by Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli. Kind of different in this version, though. But, yeah, cool, cool episode. And, again, this show, really, I really feel like it's starting, it really has, you know, kind of found its groove in a lot of ways. Um, it's starting to really, you know, coalesce into a show that I'm interested in rather than what I'm just kind of, curious about yeah and just a quick little tangent question that doesn't really matter for the episode but the guy that played delaware is he the same guy that played the cursed pirate with the eyeball popping out in pirates of caribbean i don't know it it looked like him i was just wondering the actor's name is nico nicotera he was not in that movie he was in sons of anarchy though that's where i know him from he He was was rat boy yeah Yeah, uh, the last place actually He's also been on Castle, he's been on The Mentalist, True Blood, um, Rome. I knew I knew him from something, and it's Sons of Anarchy for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get into The Flash. Okay, let's get to The Flash then. Gee whiz. uh, This episode is called The Sound and the Fury, in which we are introduced to the biggest dick in the world. The the world. (laughs) This guy is such a dick. Yeah, he is such a dick. I mean, kudos to the kudos to the team for not having. I mean, first of all, he's the first um, openly gay character we've had on the show. Okay, mm-hmm. and, you know, kudos to them for not making him like the magical gay guy who has all this wisdom to dispense and know what you know knows everything and how to do everything. I thought he'd be nicer though. Yeah, I thought he would be too, bit. but he's just out and out mean. I mean, well, we'll talk about it, but that one scene. Where, I mean, with Caitlin was like, "Well, how about those wedding invitations, Caitlin?" Yeah, it's like, damn, what a dick. Yeah, he was he was pretty pretty much a dick. It was and, like he, I wanted to root for him because of the comic version, but not this guy. Yeah. Well, I give kudos to that actor because he did a great job making me instantly dislike him. Yeah, no doubt that was. Uh, and, oh, he can still change. I mean, he can still go through. I mean, he had to go through a lot before he became you know who he was. I mean, the the comic version went to prison and all that, so he had to get rid of that anger before he was ready to. Well, they say in the show that he came out to his parents and they disowned him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the reference was last week with the Rathaways and their $25 million painting. Right. And the guy says, you know, we have no son. I think this is who they're referring to as Harley Rathaway. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I think that's what it was. Yeah, yeah just to retract, because for some reason all of us were thinking trickster. We start out at Dr. Wells' house where he's walking around. Hello. And uh, he gets a, a threatening phone call. It seems like he recognizes the voice. And uh, he has to use uh, super speed, 
to move out of the, out of the way of the, his glass ceiling of his giant, beautifully uh, decorated home uh, shattering around him. Again, we see you know that Wells has that super speed at his disposal. He can you know, use it like we in the last episode where he almost got out of the chair to save Barry, remember? We see that again here. Um, and I thought, sure, when they, they showed him like walking around and the guy called on the phone that he was going to see him walking and someone was going to call him on that's what I thought. Being in the wheelchair, you know what I mean? There's a scene later, too, where he's, like, in a hallway, nowhere near his wheelchair. <laughs> he's, like, just laying in the hallway. He hurts I, me because he, he seems so genuine when he's being nice to Barry. I, I kind of get the feeling that Rathaway does know, he did know, and that's part of the secret that he still has on Wells. Well, he kind of got that. Uh, that's my take from it, but I could be wrong. Well, he, he keeps saying through the whole episode that he knows Wells a secret, and he knows Wells a secret, and it turns mm-hmm. out later that the secret that he knows is that you know they, they, the particle accelerator was not as safe as they thought it was uh, when they fired it up. So, I mean, they because, you know, when they do the, the, the commercial cutaway, I think, at the one point, he's like, tell him I know his secret, and you're, everybody's, you know, I know, I was thinking, he knows about the reverse flash, oh my god, we're going to find out more about that, but it wasn't, it was that... Um, yeah. You know, he knew that the particle accelerator was not a safe. It was a good, it was a good fake out. Yeah, it was a good fake out because you, you automatically assumed he knows about that. But yeah, they they kind of show you no, not that. No, I didn't get the sense that he knew before. I I was figuring Wells is in his house under this giant glass ceiling, walking around, and he shows up and shatters that glass ceiling and the windows are all open you know there's no drape you know, i'm figuring he had to have seen wells walking around right well uh, the police come the next you know the next scene um uh, joe and barry and uh, and thon are there and looking around barry uses his super speed to put the glass back together and realizes that there's no point of impact there's no you know, brick or rock or whatever that broke this glass it was just it was you know snapped by sonic vibration uh, Wells reveals that um, he knows who this person is, that it's uh, Hartley Rathaway, a former protege of his. So, uh, soon after, uh, Hartley is t- starts attacking his family's business downtown with sonic blasts on gauntlets. Barry arrives to stop him. Hartley reveals that he knows the secret that Dr. Wells is hiding. This is what I was talking about before. Barry takes his gauntlets, knocks him to the, you know, takes his gauntlets off, kind of crushes him on the ground and takes him into custody back to Star Labs. Wells reveals to, to the rest of, of the group, uh, you know, the, the, the flat, you know, team Flash, as it were, that Hartley warned him that the particle accelerator could explode ahead of time. Uh, but Wells chose to risk it for the potential rewards. We find out that, you know, Cisco was hired, you know, to kind of take Hartley's place because, you know, Hartley is so abrasive and so unsocial, you know, not even antisocial, more just like unsocial. It just seemed like, you know, no one was good enough and, uh, you know, he, he cuts Cisco down every time he sees him, and so Cisco and he have a rivalry going on. We come back to the present day from the flashback that we, you know, from Cisco being hired, and, and Cisco realizes that Hartley intentionally got caught so he could steal mm-hmm. information from Star Labs. He pulls uh, a small explosive out of a hearing aid that um, he has to wear inside of his ear to, to hear because of uh, aftermath from the particle accelerator explosion causes him intense sonic pain all the time, so... This, you know, ripping the aid causes him a lot of pain out of his head, of course, causes him a lot of pain. Triggers an explosion. He's able to steal information from Star Lab's computer that allows him to identify the frequency of Barry's molecules. He's able to use this later. Wells has a, uh, a press conference where he comes out and tells all of, Star, uh, of the city, of Central City you know, that he knew that there were greater risks for the particle accelerator than he let on. 
and that he and Star Labs are going to do whatever they have to and whatever they can to regain the public trust. You know, thinking this will appease Hartley and, and stop him from, you know, causing destruction and pain on everyone with his, his sonic weaponry. But no such luck. Was I the only one that was anticipating and expecting at the end of that press conference for him to stand up out of the wheelchair? Because I, I, I thought that's where it was going to go. And then when it didn't, I'm like, ah, oh, OK. No, but I expected it. I expected it to placate Hartley more and it didn't, you know, not at all. You know, it right. probably made him more more angry. Hartley uh, starts blowing up cars randomly at one of his parents' facilities. Uh, Barry shows up on time and shows up to try to stop him. And now that he has the frequency of Barry's molecules implanted into his sonic um, gauntlets, as it were, uh, he triggers a trap for Barry, tearing Barry apart from inside, kind of like shredding his organs. Quick thinking, Doctor Wells taps into. Uh, satellite, uh, a satellite overhead and sends an alternative frequency through car radios uh, to try to counter the uh, the sonic weapon, and it works. Joe has uh, Eddie start an investigation into Dr. Wells surreptitiously, but Thon doesn't find anything on the first look over of his house. Uh, Hartley is prison, in prison back in the, accelerator, uh, the particle accelerator, and he tells Cisco that he knows where Ronnie Raymond is and how to save him. Something I was wondering about this episode, why, if Captain Cold and Heatwave were guys that just, you know, handling tech or whatever, they got sent to the cops, right? Why mm-hmm. didn't they just send Rathaway to the cops once they got rid of his... I was wondering the same thing. Why, he's not a meta, why would they put him in the particle accelerator? Yeah, I don't know. I was, I just think because of the plot device, this was, I I still love this episode, but it, it, by far, this is the first time I've had a few issues with the flash. So, and that's one of them. I'm kind of like, that just made no sense. And while we're talking about him breaking out with his, uh, hearing aids, this is the first time where set production and effects, just practical effects, just, kind of disappointed me because when he breaks into that area where wells is on the floor when he goes through that door but when he when they frame it behind him when he comes through it looks like it's cardboard you know that's 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 the first time that i've been kind of like oh man they kind of dropped the ball there what bothered me more about that same scene that you're talking about wells is laying there in that circular hallway right nowhere near his wheelchair at all He's just laying there because he's super sped yeah. and couldn't run anymore, and that's where yeah. and that's where Rathway finds him. You don't think a genius like Rathway would figure something was? I kind of had the same feeling, but then I thought, well, he could kind of explain it away as, you know, stuff happened. He was going with his chair, his chair tipped over or something, and he was crawling down the hall. I mean, it's kind of weak, but that's what I thought he could do if it got I- questioned. I just kind of thought that they were in a hurry, like they they got so much in this and they were in a hurry and they couldn't explain it. But if they had added, you know, everything time they they cut some stuff from from the episode, I think it would have been something about that chair. I just think that they would just they just had to go with what they had. Well, they could have cut out the the Iris going working for the newspaper storyline. I really didn't care for that much, and they could have given more time to what was going on with Wells. Yeah, I, I, yeah, but I kind of, but I guess they wanted to have an Irish story that doesn't involve, while um, doesn't involve Barry, you know, being torn up about her. I just feel everything that was going on at that newspaper from the guy who's her quote mentor or babysitter or whatever, and mm-hmm. it just everything was so cliche and just kind of. No, it was, I just, but it seemed like it was going out of its way to prove that it wasn't. 
Right. Because you know, he was all like, so what do you got? You got spunk, gumption. You know, he was like making fun of his own trope while he was using the trope. Which he calls the editor, you know, chief and says, I guess you hear that a lot. And he's like, no, yeah. you know, distancing right. from the whole Perry White thing. But they're trying to go out, yeah. go out of their way to like, you know, hey, we're not a cliched newspaper trope, but obviously we are. You know, something's going to happen when she's going to come across the story where it might be against Wells. It might be she might find something out. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's going to pay off down the line. I just was not pleased with any part of it in this episode. Just mostly the way it was written and... Glad they didn't need it. I'm just glad that it wasn't him. I, like, I'm glad that they're moving their story on right now. Right. Right. In the final, very final scene of the episode, uh, in the secret uh, time travel room, with all the ping pong balls on the walls, Dr. Wells uses uh, the tachyon technology to temporarily recharge his speed force energy. And it seems like he's well. It seems like he's losing his speed force energy. Right. We know it's unstable. He can't hold it. Right. That's the which beg, which begs the question: If you know that you have limited time and you need to, you know, conserve that energy, why are you? I mean, I get that he doesn't want to sit in that chair all day, but every chance he gets when he's alone to get up and walk around and do things, I'm just thinking: If you know you have a limited supply of that, why? Why waste it? You know, save it for when you really, really need it. Well, I think, too, he, well, I mean, we saw that episode where he drew, you know, the blood from Blackout, right? Mm-hmm. Who was the yeah, one who right. was able to draw the speed force off of Barry. So maybe he's using a derivative of that, you know, to induce speed in himself. Yeah, it could uh, be. Yeah. I'm thinking that it had to something. It had, or he's still perfecting what will, what will maybe will be the thing to keep it. Right. Eventually stabilize it. Right, and it's unstable for that reason. I mean, they wouldn't have had that scene where he's like, you know, you were able to take his force, and I want to know why, and have him taking his blood exactly. without having you know, a reference to it later, I think. Because if it sounds like he has a timetable where something's coming up, like he's almost ready. Right. But it still just drives me nuts, because he seems genuinely to like Barry. Like, I don't... It's driving me nuts. I just want to... I mean, and I, I think I mentioned this in the last episode... But Grant Gustin, in an interview recently, said that there was such a big twist at the end of season one that mm, no one, that no one is see no one will see coming. I'm hoping that that twist kind of answers these questions that we have. You know, what I mean? I'm pretty sure it will. Uh, um, at least some of the blanks enough for us to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, to stick with it. Yeah, I'm glad I don't know, and I'm glad that it's driving me nuts because that shows how good acting Well is doing. Because when you see Wells with it, Barry, you really do see concern. And, you know, like, you do see that he cares. It looks like he cares. But then at the same time, back of my mind, I'm screaming, this is the dude. But then he, like, beat himself up. Yeah. In that one scene. You know, I keep going back to that as far as, you know, everybody says, oh, he's a reverse flash. But go back to that episode with the man in the yellow suit. He beats the hell out of him. He did. And like, he, I mean, what did he do it? To, how could he do it? To, do that to himself? Right. It got to be more to this than just that. It Is it possible be. that there's two future versions of Wells running around in the past? Or maybe there are two different reverse flashes. Well, yes. yeah. Okay. That that's what I'm kind of hoping. Um, I also thought it's possible maybe he has some sort of bipolar thing. You know, he, he, you know, admires Barry. Wells admires Barry. But mm-hmm. he also, deep down, I think, has a jealousy of his powers and and everything else. And I, I just think that his that disorder of, of his brain of some type could be, 
you know, most of the time he's admiring Barry, everything else. And then, you know, he goes into his secret little ping pong ball room Jim talked about, or he puts on the suit or whatever. And then suddenly all the, you know, just spite towards Barry comes out. I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm, I'm glad it's not going to be like lost. I'm glad they actually have, you know, a story in mind that'll fit all this. You know what I mean? There will be a solution is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and uh, it's going to be one of those moments where we're all like, oh. But well, I guess we have to wait for that one because we didn't quite get that moment in this episode. I, I do like the Pied Piper, though. And it was funny that he, he chose his own code name. And Cisco's like, hey, I assigned the code names around here. But yeah, he admitted he it was pretty good. Although that was pretty good. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, he did, yeah, that was a nice, that was a cool little scene with him. And how um, it, it's just a nice scene of how the contrast between how he is and and how uh, Piper is because they're both genius, but um, it's just the way that he's still he's still human. He still likes people. He still you know like he doesn't let that he doesn't let his love for science make him feel like he's better than anyone. Like it's just such a a genuine love for science and and a genuine love to make things to help people. That's kind of cool. I hope he works with the police even more. I hope they really set that up. I did like that scene, too, with Barry and Joe, where Barry was saying how it must not have been easy for me, like, setting up my chemistry set in the garage and, you know, blowing up experiments and stuff and uh, growing up and... uh, Oh, that's just... Every time they get together, that's just a done... Done oh yeah, it's a good that's, yeah. That's, they're they're really easy. good together. Yeah, that's easy. And they when they put them together, I'm like, oh boy, they're gonna make me want to cry again. But I think you make a good point, Daryl. That it was. I don't think you know we have like little nitpicks with the show here and there, but it did seem a little rushed. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seemed like I mean, I don't know if it's the pacing of the show itself or with that there was so much going on in it, but it just seemed like it just had that feel to it. Like there's just. Well, it could have been for whatever reason, but it just felt like they had to get certain things in for this episode, and they made probably made a decision maybe to to cut out a few things. Well, I also wonder if possibly this is like an early, early origin point of Cisco finding his meta abilities when they're sitting here talking about the whole vibration frequencies and doing all that stuff, I it's just possibly, so. uh, or them starting towards the plot line of him becoming vibe. I thought maybe I, when that explosion happened, that's when I thought when he got up. Yeah. That's when he, when he, when he got up, I thought, you know, maybe he was going to have his hands are going to little, little kind of glow or something was going to happen or, or something, but it didn't. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, It'd be. I don't know if they want to make it. You know, everybody gets powers. I don't think they want to do that right away. Right, and and the other thing too, backing up to when Wells tells them, tells the team his seat. I was a little disappointed in Caitlin's reaction. I felt she went too easy by even acknowledging him with words. I mean, I'm I'm just thinking if I was in her shoes, and knowing now that this guy could have prevented my fiance's death, my one true love's death, not to mention that he got that information from somebody she absolutely despised. I, I just, I just, I'm surprised she just didn't just look at him and walk away and, and, 
and was just done and maybe even just not even part of the team for an episode or two because they don't have time for that probably yeah it's just <laughs> it's just wrapping it up with him redeeming a little bit of trust mm. with the team at the end it just didn't it, it did i mean it was good but it just didn't gel for me as far as she was concerned well, he's already already uh, kind of suspicious and shifty character in a lot of ways anyway you know adding this and it's just like another layer to and joe i mean having Thawne look into him and, and kind of investigate him and stuff, that really kind of shows that off, too. Right. Yeah, that's the starting point of him become the other reverse Flash. It could. It, it really could, it could be the, the point. I think, like one of, one of you guys said last week, there's going to come a moment where we're suddenly going to be, oh, how did we not see that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's going to come. I know it. I, I just know it's going to be a good payoff. It almost have to be knowing who's in, you know who's doing the show and everything and how how they you know they've plotted everything since the beginning. So absolutely. So another strong episode of the Flash, no doubt. Uh, like I said, we had a few quibbles here and there, but nothing major. And, uh, our final DC TV show for the week: uh, Arrow, Midnight City. Ugh. Uh. <laughs> oh, thank God I'm not alone. I. Would would you? I don't know, man. Would would you? you know, your black canary is like falling down and tripping on stuff, and and oh. is basically there just to get saved by Roy. Well, I would prefer to watch Roy go through this. Like Roy never really got that yeah. episode where he was going through this. His episode, he kind of learned quick, and then they kind of moved on. Like he, I don't know. I think that this is the hiccup. This is going to be the hiccup with them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to continue to be a hiccup with the show with them is this character. I don't think they. I agree. I don't think they casted her right. I don't think they cast her right, and I don't think I don't know. I don't think that they did enough to change her or to make us root for her. I don't root for her, and I want to root for her, but I just don't. Well, I had other problems besides, and we'll get into it after we go through the synopsis, but other problems besides her character, you know, I'm very, very, very hesitant to say this because uh, I don't want to believe it, but I almost feel like this was the jumping of the shark moment for the Arrow television show. I mean, there was just so much bad about this episode. We start off with uh, the new Black Canary, Laurel, coming across a guy uh, about to attack a woman. She tells mm-hmm. the woman to run, and he she starts trying to get, get this guy with uh, with Af. He's like, oh, I heard there was a new uh, vigilante you know, watching the women out around here. I guess it's not you. And she starts to get her butt kicked. Ugh. And then she speaks. And then she talks, and then Roy has to bail her out. Yes, with stones. Everything that comes out of her mouth is so cliche. Yes. We uh, flash over to uh, Oliver in the the uh, hut near Nanda Powerbot. Now, um, these are the good scenes. Like, I'll, every time they they showed Oliver, I was in. Yeah. I was back in. You know, Tatsu informs Oliver that his will to live and the cold temperature of the mountain are the only reasons he survived. And that uh, Oliver warns Maceo that Raish will see... Saving his life is a betrayal and try to kill him mm-hmm. for it. But, I mean, Maceo probably, probably pretty much already knows this. Right. While Oliver is, you know, is re- trying to rest and heal, members of the League of Assassins show up and they force Maceo and Tatsuo's hand to kill them to protect Oliver. Uh, Maceo cuts himself so he will, uh, Rachel believe that Oliver escaped. That, you know, he put up yeah. a fight or whatever. 
didn't even flinch when he did it, too. No. Like, Roy and Diggle warned Laurel to stay off the streets. You know, this is after Roy had to save her bacon on the streets. And, you know, Laurel, of course, wanted, you know, I want to live up to my sister. And, and he has these, like, you know... More cliche? Yeah, very cliched, like, soliloquy moments. It's, you, know, you know, the instrument my sister wanted to be and all this other stuff. And it's just mm-hmm. very, like you said, it's very cliche. Meanwhile, we find out that the uh, brick, uh, Vinnie Jones, has uh, kidnapped, uh, breaks into the mayor's office. While Felicity and uh, uh, um, and Ray Palmer are there, uh, and uh, kidnaps uh, three of the aldermen, tries to kidnap the mayor, but is thwarted by Ray Palmer and Felicity, doing you know, a little bit and and some you know a little bit of help from Laurel, but not much. But they get away with three of the aldermen. Brick, uh, Brick escapes, and uh, Laurel and, and and Roy track them down, and uh, they kill one of the aldermen in retaliation. The remaining two, they move out to a, a location. But Brick uh, has a, a, uh, a ransom demand. He says that all police presence has to get out of the glades for good, and he will release the aldermen. Team gets together. Uh, Felicity comes back to the fold after and gives them a little bit of a pep talk. Laurel insinuates herself in. You know, Diggle and, and Roy have no choice because they need whatever help they can get. Felicity goes and asks Ray Palmer if she can borrow his helicopter. Great scene. Right. That was a good scene. She said, I can't get the keys to your helicopter. And he's like, I would have more faith in your ability to pilot the helicopter if you knew that helicopters don't actually have keys. It was a good scene. The air support from Diggle and the helicopter, uh, Roy and uh, and Laurel uh, go in and uh, support from Felicity back in the uh, in the uh, Arrow Cave. Uh, they're able to free the uh, the two aldermen and escape uh, with uh, from Brick. Even though they um, they do that, uh, the mayor agrees to remove the police from from the glades because Brick says, you know, the next thing he's going to do is target every single member member of the city council. He has all their addresses and all their houses staked out. Evidently, it makes me feel like they only have five cops. Yeah, and and Star City. Like I just don't see nobody helping them out. Like, it just doesn't make any sense that they have no police like that. Well, this is when we get that scene with Laurel on the fire escape with the light behind her. Yeah. Uh, pretending to be Sarah to her own father. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was so ridiculous. God, <laughs> I hated that scene. I mean, I was cringing watching that scene. I just hated that. It just <sighs> made me want Sarah more back. I just It just makes me want Sarah back on the show more and more every time they do that. I keep thinking to myself, wow, why I wish that character had died and not Sarah. And the ridiculous scene, another trope, her jumping through the window to catch the ladder hanging down yeah. from the helicopter. Yeah. I it made me want to vomit. I'm just like, come on. Yeah, she was Laura was getting her, her butt handed to her by brick there for a minute until she just jumped out the window and the helicopter happened to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just uh uh, Felicity also decides to help out Ray Palmer after all and helps him out with the, what is missing from his Adam exosuit. As right. he explains, you know, you know, while trying to fight off those thugs that took, tried to take the mayor or whatever, that's why he needs an exosuit. Uh, Merlin comes to Thea a couple times in the episode, tells her that they have to get the hell out of Starling City, and she says, no, I'm going to stay here. The DJ for Verdant, who we all called as being a ringer for the League of Assassins, like when he first showed up, hello. This is another problem I had. I'm just like, come on. We all knew this. I know, but I still, I was like, I was really hoping it wasn't going to go this way. No, but what I mean is, come on. What I mean is, we all should not have known this because the way that they wanted, they wanted this to be a surprise. This should not have been the surprise. 
This should not have been so easy to call. Well, and I really, I mean, the whole Fia thing really has me a little twisted. I'm just kind of like, the interactions between her and her father and just everything else, it, it just, I don't know, it just didn't work for me. I really disliked it. Everything from him saying we have to go, him trying to, you know, get her to go, her saying I'm staying, you know, it just was also that was cliche. I mean, to me, so and then the DJ just, especially the whole scene of when they're talking about the kiss. I'm like, oh god, CW. And then the um the scenes, you know, with her, with Merlin there, she's like, my father taught me not to not to run, to stand and fight, and I'm just like, who wrote this? Exactly. The dialogue just seemed very like trite, and it was not the way people speak in any way. Yeah, just it just, and I don't want to feel like that when I'm watching it. I, you know, I want to root for Team Arrow, but it's just when I see her and her acting, and even when she's acting and she's crying and she's being sad and she effed up, and it's just. I don't know, man. I like if this is gonna be a three-parter. Yeah, we the next episode is called Uprising, and then the one after that is called Canaries. I I just I don't know, man. This is just making this not a sh- not the show that I. Uh, to be honest, if we if we were not doing this recording this show when we do, I probably would have waited probably till like the weekend to watch it. If I did, right. you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like I used, this used to be one of the first shows I would watch when I recorded it. And it's becoming now, because of this, it's just becoming something I can wait for. And I don't want it to be that way. Have either of you ever watched that show, The Writer's Room? Yes. Yeah. I would love to see an episode of The Writer's Room with them discussing this three-episode arc. Just to see where in the hell are their minds at. Well, like, I think that it really varies. You know, like some of the episodes have been really strong, and then some of them just like this one have not. So I mean, and parts of this I like. I like I like Brick. I like Vinnie Jones's Brick. I think it's a good you know, a good foil for you know when Oliver comes back and everything. And just see this big mm-hmm. you know showdown. Um, the 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 whole thing with. With Ray and Felicity is is kind of cool, just because I, I like Brandon Routh in that role. I think he's really like oh, a yeah. lot to that. You know, it's Ray Palmer, what could have been you know a lot. You know, could have been pretty much just a cipher. You know, he really has brought a lot of personality to that role. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really um like this episode, the flashbacks with um with uh, Maceo uh, dealing with China White for Tatsuo's life. Um, that stuff was really cool. But yeah, the other parts that are like um, like the DJ. I mean, as soon as he came on the scene, we we all called that he was going to be part of the League of Assassins. Duh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Brick's kind of, his plan, the way it's kind of played out, has just been kind of dumb in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Exactly. And, and just kind of nonsensical the way it has played out. I mean, were they, you know, I don't know. I know there has to be a certain amount of suspension of disbelief, you know, to enjoy the show, but there also has to be a certain amount of, for me anyway, you know, verisimilitude. It doesn't have to be realistic, but it has to make sense unto itself. And some things here just didn't. Exactly. Well, and my whole thing is, too, is I get that he's got the aldermen and all that other stuff, but for the mayor of a city to meet him in person, that whole thing, that would not happen in real life. And I understand it's a TV show, but that would not happen. It just goes further to show how much... The writers are ignoring the way city government and justice system and all of that works 
in 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 reality you know i'm fine with things you know i have to have a little bit of a disconnection from belief you know but i just that whole thing i just don't buy and and i have to mention the one scene it was really kind of a throwaway scene but i had to pause it to tweet out since when the hell does an ada question suspects mm-hmm. or when does an when does an ada threaten somebody with a false charge Mm-hmm. To, get them, to get them to confess. I mean, any any idiot would know that that wouldn't hold. You know, and exactly. It's the whole thing about him. Uh, stupid. And what's it? And who, who would give up part of a city for the ultimate families? They would just get them out. But I mean it, that. Yeah. But and I mean, I'm just saying that's not even close to how any justice system works. I mean, it should be. None of the way that it negotiated right. is how they would do any of that. None right. of that rang true like they would not give up a whole part of town they would not they would have moved the the politician families away like either they if they didn't kidnap all the families then they would just move them like why like they would not give up a whole thing and negotiate like that they wouldn't even have the ability to negotiate you can't tell the police force to just move away and isn't there, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, in Batman Begins, isn't there a section of Gotham, like the Hollows or the, the yeah, Barrows or something like yeah. that, that they, yeah. that they kind of have done the same thing? You know what I mean? It just seemed very much like, oh, that's it was exactly the same, like the same plan in Batman Begins. That's I mean, where Arkham heard, was. Yeah. That's where, uh, or even in the, Arkham, in the Arkham City uh, video game. The Glades, the same they deal. call it the Glades, yeah. Well, they call, yeah, they call it the Glades in this show, but... But anyway, yeah. it's just like something we'd seen before. But yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff kind of... And like I said, up to a point, it's okay. But when it gets to the point, it's kind of taking you out of the story. That's when, like that's whole, when it bothers me. Yeah, it's like now that Laurel has is, is become a district attorney, it's like they just totally are just trying to make stuff up. Like, it's just totally making up how it goes. And I, I'm one for I could suspend my disbelief to a point, too, but... It's it's getting kind of. There's also, I mean, and they're not even trying to hide that that she can't fight or that she can't. Right. I mean, she's not... like slipping, falling on her ass, you know. Yes. Like, um, you know, you know, getting beat up by one one skanky dude in an alley. You know, what she's I mean, she's just it's throwing like... her stick like she's not even fighting yeah. a skill. She's just throwing the stick, and she misses one time, and then she'll throw it again, and then, then she'll hit. Like it, I just don't. Yeah. I just don't yeah. get it. I get that they're having the storyline of this struggling up and coming vigilante that's trying to get to the point of where other vigilantes are at, but they are just stumbling and bumbling through the way it's written, shot, everything. I mean, not to mention, I don't know if it's that she's a bad actress, but I just don't, I think she looks good. I think that, you know, there are certain scenes that we've seen in past uh, seasons that, you know, she was okay, and but I mean, for the most part, I just you just dislike her every time you see her on screen. But and when she tries to deliver an online and tries to be like a badass or whatever, it just comes yeah. off as like just weak and it just makes me want to laugh. But yeah, not to beat a dead horse, but I mean, the whole thing and anybody that watches any criminal proceeding television shows or has been anywhere around anything knows that like 
there's a reason that the cops and the district attorney's office are separate. The cops investigate, mm-hmm. detectives look into it, they question their suspects, they gather evidence, and then they present that evidence to the DA's office, and then the DA at that point decides, okay, we're going to yeah. press charges. They're really you know, making the police seem dumb, like to the point where it's ridiculous. Like his father, her father is like saying, they're making it like her father's the only good cop in in Starlin City. Like everyone else yeah, is just inept. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. You remember that, that movie with Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro where Murphy wants to be a cop? Um, oh, I, yeah. reality show when yeah. he's in there overacting questioning a suspect mm-hmm. and all that that is exactly what I thought of during that scene where she's trying to I'm like you are not a cop to begin with but you are also very bad at what you're doing right now there are a couple yeah. things in the news that I'm coming up on that, that might uh, might please you when it comes to the era so you want to go ahead and go to the news yeah let's do it sure yeah. let's do it Tyrese Gibson is on a one-man mission to become Green Lantern. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen this. He's put out these ads that he has made himself. Yeah, <laughs> mayhem. <laughs> he told you, I love when you to do that. If anybody remembers, he had a comic called Mayhem. And um, when he went to Comic-Con at that time, that's all. You, there was just a couple of months where all you would hear is just mayhem. And you would know exactly what that was. <laughs> he's a showman, though, man. He's fun. I mean, I, I like it. He's funny. He's a showman. You know, like, I could see him play the character. I'd, I'd be fine with that if he did play it, though. I've been saying since before Ryan Reynolds was cast in that movie that they mm-hmm. should go with the John Stewart Green Lantern. I was with you on From that. Jump. Because, I mean, I you on that. he's a stronger character. He's a more interesting character. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. How was it never how was never how was never my Green Lantern, you know? John yeah. Stewart was my Green Lantern and then um and then Kyle. Well, I could I could have been okay with a Hal Jordan character in the movie if they would have done it kinda like they're doing with Hank Pym and Atman. You know, he's already an established personality mm-hmm. and character and you know, he's kind of there as a reminder of the history of the Green Lantern core. You know, and maybe there's one or two throwaway scenes with him that just kind of gives that, you know, honorary, this is Hal Jordan kind of thing. But, yeah, to me, Jon Stewart, Kyle Rayner, that's what well, I, I like. How they, I liked how they did in Young Justice. They had all, they had both. They were, they were just all there. Why yeah. not? It's a hey, lot man. of, we got a lot of galaxy to cover. We got a lot of, you know, and threats that come here and there. I mean, well, they yeah. centralized it too much on Hal Jordan when it's the Green Lantern Corps. They're space cops, and we're here on Earth. We've talked about this many times before, yeah. but yeah. yeah. We've got some more Suicide Squad uh, uh, rumors uh, percolating. We are looking at maybe Carl Urban now has been looking at for Rick Flagg, and that there's going to be Rick Flagg Jr. and Rick Flagg Sr. in the movie, and that they're uh, looking at either Ed Harris or Max Martini to play uh, Rick Flagg Sr., I'm not mad about that legacy character. I'm not, I'm no, not I, that'd be awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially, I mean, we heard that rumor that the first Wonder Woman movie might take place in the 20s. I mean, I think it would be mm-hmm. awesome if they went back and, like, seated a little. Oh, yeah. There. I don't get do a Captain America. I don't care if it works. It, it was. I think it's a good thing to do. Do a Captain America. Have it be that way. Bringing in a history to what you're presenting and actually mm-hmm. using established history from source material... Mm-hmm. I mean that just 
adds more layers to the story. And, I, you know, the more you can add and balance it, the better. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a cool way to mature Wonder Woman without, you know, it's easy, 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 it's an easier way to do that. Like, you know, have her be in a war, but not, you know. Right. And I mean, Superman and Batman have already had a head start of a couple, you know, two or three movies each. Right. Uh, and Wonder Woman hasn't. It would be cool to go back into history a little bit and give her that backstory. You know. Well, I'm did you see the the interview with Joss Whedon that he was this week? He was talking about it's you know wrong that we have so few comic book female characters leading films or solo films. Mm-hmm. Talking about you know, and and I had commented on that. I mean, my whole thing is, it was forty years ago. We had Linda. I mean, it wasn't a movie, but still, we had Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. You know, mm-hmm. it worked. And we've now gone forty-ish years, and we can't get a Wonder Woman movie other than an animated. I mean, I, I just have a problem. Well, you got to call that on everybody. <laughs> well, there ain't exactly a whole bunch right. of women-led Marvel movies either. And to be honest, they've been developing Wonder Woman for a long time. I mean, yeah, uh, David. You know, we had the David A. K. R. R. Kelly version with Adrian Pelicki's Wonder Woman. Before, DC has failed. Before that, that Joss Whedon yeah. had written a Wonder Woman script that they passed on. This is before DC Avengers. has failed at more uh, female-driven Wonder Woman shows and movies than Marvel has even attempted at all mm-hmm. to do. I mean, they announced it now, and that's great, but I mean, listen, that's that's a problem all around. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, and these aren't really comic book properties, but it's still, you know, genre-type films. I gotta give, whether you like them or not, gotta give hats off to stuff like Divergent and Hunger Games and all that, where they're putting mm-hmm. forth these strong female leads that, and they work pretty yeah, well. Um... Resident, uh, uh, hello, the Resident Evil series calls and says hello. Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lark of Tomb Raider starring yeah. Angelique. Jolie. And they always uh, forget. Yeah. I don't. Underworld, I hate, Underworld calls and says hello. Yeah. I hate critics that always do that. They always say there's no female. I don't know what the hate is for Resident Evil. It does what it says. It, it is what they said it is. It, they don't try. It is a, is a cool action movie. It doesn't. It's not like they're trying to do Shakespeare. They're not lying to you about what it is. I don't get the hate for, I think a lot for of, Resident it, Evil. You know what, I think a lot of the hate is the fact that Mila is the action star. I mean, if you were to put, yeah. you know, Bruce Willis or you know one of your other action, you know, Jason Statham or whatever in, uh-huh. that, in that property, I don't think you would have the hate. But I mean, but Mila is so credible in those movies. Uh, you know, as an not action only that, star. but she's got the they don't. They don't make people go to see her movies. No, people want to see them. Like yes. it, I, I, and I watch them. Like I, when I've seen out, every one of them. We did a retrospective yeah. on LOD on them, man. We 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 love those movies. I well, do. and here's the thing too: is you mentioned Bruce Willis in that role. Think about the Fifth Element. You know, Bruce Willis was technically the lead in that film, but to me, she stole yeah, she that entire movie. Yeah, oh, well, she yeah. was the superhero of that movie, right? Absolutely. She was the Wonder Woman. She was the superhero. She was the cosmic hero. He was well, just the it, guy going to get her. I'm just Help saying. With, with I mean, things are changing. I mean, if if you look outside of the Marvel and DC franchises, there have been a lot of really cool action movies with female leads yep. that have made yep. money. Um, Lucy, you know the the Scar Scarjo movie from uh, was it the right. spring? 
You know, that makes I haven't seen that, that yet. Don't spoil it. No, I'm not spoiling it. I'm just saying. People hate on. Another one that, not people, but critics have, like, right. it's almost like, I don't under, like, it's almost like, yeah, that movie did well, but, you know, it's not the movie I want. It's not the female movie that I want to do well. Like, you can't, I'm just, <laughs> you can't pick and choose. It, it, like, name the franchise. They've done it. Like, don't say, like, they try to paint this picture that there's no women that have led movies that have been successful in action you know no action film but or, they have been or or that you know i mean or you know saying that the hunger games is like the first to do this kind of thing i mean yeah go, go back to pam greer and coffee dude i mean you know, oh, yeah. you know i mean going back that to genre has with the hamilton there. and the terminator yes. movies i mean yes We've had strong female leads of alien. Thank you. Yeah. Like the, these things have been going on. It might not be the movies that you critic you snooty critics like, but they've been things that fans have liked that because they lasted well, long. They've made money. And in related news, I mean, it's not DC, but, you know, it was announced this week. The And I don't know if it's going to be good yet or not, but I'm hoping so, is the all-female Ghostbusters. You know, I don't know if that's, you know, it's going to be more a comedy action thing, but still. Well, they were all comedies. I mean, I would expect it to keep, to be in that same tone. Anyway. If it does well, that's great. But I don't even care if the originals came back. I really don't care about Ghostbusters anymore. Like, it, the time has passed so long. Yeah. It's fine, but I mean, the time has passed for them. Like, I'm to the point now where I don't want to hear about the movies anymore. Either make them or don't. But I don't well, even I want think- to hear about it. I figured they po- picked four new female Ghostbusters because they could get pay them twenty three percent less. So no, oh, they're SNL plus they're SNL. Uh, I'd, I'd probably I'd probably check that movie out even if it weren't a Ghostbusters movie just because I, I like I like Kristen Wiig she's funny I like Melissa McCarthy she's funny I've seen him in other stuff but I think the, the all the hubbub about you know like with Dan Aykroyd about it and not doing it and this and that and I'm like well, it was Bill Murray it. was the one who held out it's oh Bill Murray I mean we just do I mean like come on dude it, I mean it it was a fun movie about y'all catching ghosts like why are you trying to make it more than it is either do it or don't it's endemic of what i mean every franchise is like that now every franchise is up for grabs for a reboot or a remake yeah or or, you know a long lost sequel i mean now don't get mad if they do it and i know he will but don't get mad if they redo it you didn't want to do it you held out you didn't want to do it so right what do you think is gonna happen well, I'm kind of hoping, too, that maybe this will be like a next generation kind of thing, and maybe we'll get some cameos. Probably not Bill Murray, but, you know, Dan Aykroyd. And, uh, Ernie Hudson. <laughs> well, considering Ernie, Ernie yeah. Hudson still does, he still does um, cons and stuff. Yeah, he does a lot of appearances. I would think one if of the anybody would do it. Talk to. Right, he doesn't make a big deal about it. He's like, yeah, he's cool, you know, hey, all right. Like that's what I like. Like it, it was gonna be that to be that. Like welcome to the Ghostbusters podcast. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, it's cool. It's I just fun. I wanted to go through the rest of this uh, the Suicide oh, Squad casting yeah. news that we got. Uh, Gary Sinise, oh, yeah. we reported last week, might be playing General Eiling. Now it turns out he might actually be playing General Sam Lane, uh, Lois oh. Lane's dad. Yeah, yeah um, I read that. And that Very the thinker is in there too, and that Jeffrey Rush turned down that role, but they're looking for someone else. 
um, for in that role. Uh, Joseph Manginello from True Blood, Pittsburgh, born and bred, uh, is still uh, the first pick for Deathstroke in the Suicide Squad movie with Jason Clark uh, also being considered. And uh, the Joker. I really going... like Manganiello as an actor. I think he's so good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Sure. And uh, the Joker uh, has been you know, the Batman and the Joker already have an established relationship at the time of this movie. Uh, the Joker, mm-hmm. like, quote, plays mind games to people and twists their minds. Very inspired by Sounds of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter. Everyone is different. I'm with, it sounds so much like the the animated one, the Batman Arkham. Yeah. yeah I'm on board. And, and I'm with it. Yeah. I'm on board. If it's like, if it's in that tone of, you know, because you already have Batman established, you already have Joker established, you know, all of that. The villains have been out there for a little while. I'm with it. August 2016 cannot come soon. Yeah. I'm saying. I'm all with it. Uh, Suicide Squad yeah. is also returning to Arrow with Cupid joining the team. Yeah. You you know she's dead. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Somebody got to die. They got to add some people that don't. You know, which, which, picture, which one in this poster is one that they could... They don't mind getting killed, though. Uh, we talked last week. They cast uh, Supergirl, and now they have cast Jimmy Olsen in Supergirl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mikod Brooks uh, from Desperate Housewives and True Blood. Yeah. Was he the guy that played Eggs in True Blood? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Pretty interesting there. And uh, we are also... Uh, one more quick thing, and I know my daughter will be happy about this. We're getting some new DC animated uh, stuff. Uh, Batman Unlimited is going to be a new toy line and a new cartoon with uh, Batman, uh, the Green Arrow, and Flash, uh, nice. Red, Red Robin, and Nightwing. Okay. Uh, there are going to be cartoons based on that. And then there are also going to be cartoons uh, based on the Fisher-Price Super Friends toy line, which my daughter reads the golden books of the Fisher-Price Super Friends. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's almost like the superhero squad on the Marvel side. Oh right, right, um, right. You know, it's just made, right. you know made for entry level for kids. But uh, on the Batman Unlimited, is Conroy? They is he going to voice it, or have they gotten that far? They have not said. There's going to be a Mattel toy line that ties into it, though. And uh, I just want to say real quick, and I'm sorry, Daryl, you're not going to appreciate this, but uh, my one and a half year old Jack is uh, totally addicted to Batman: Brave and the Bold. Uh, when it, when it's up on my Netflix menu on my on my uh, on my smart TV, he'll walk up and put his finger right on Batman's face and go, uh, uh. And I know you're not a fan of the Brave and the Bold at all, but I mean, he's uh, one and a half years old. Stop I didn't again. dislike the Brave and the Bold. It wasn't. It is a lot of goofy my fun. favorite, but I didn't dislike it. It's a lot of goofy fun. I mean, it, it's definitely for little kids, and uh, yeah, yeah, I was gonna. I was going to say, it's definitely, I mean, I, I could see how a one-and-a-half-year-old would definitely, especially one that grows up in a household that's full of all the comic book goodies that I imagine you have, Jim, uh, sees Batman and then sees the goofiness. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. It's your fault. Yeah. I had a I had a, uh, a toy moment this week, actually, not to go too far off on a tangent, but my daughter has become a big fan of Pee Wee Herman from Pee Wee's Playhouse on uh, Netflix. And she came into my toy room and, and decided to uh, open up the uh, vintage Pee Wee and King of Cartoons uh, figures that I had still, you know, mint on the card. Uh, because, ah. and I asked her why. She goes, oh, it's easier to make stories with them out of the package. <laughs> now, now wow. as so, upset as you were, you got to be proud of I that. I did not get mad at all. Of course not. It's Pee Wee. I mean, she loves, I mean, how could I? 
and I hope I hope people that do. they it's something though with the toys because it's been such a, a mess with them trying to. I know, and that the DC Universe line they had Warner Brothers mm-hmm. putting out in conjunction with um, you know Justice League the cartoon and all that were so good. I have so many yeah. of those toys going back to the Batman animated series toys. Yeah, um, and they all like they're they're all you know to scale with each other, all in in the same kind of style. You know what I mean? And they got they really got kind of deep on some of the characters too. I mean, yeah, I've got so I've I, got an Amazo figure, and you know or. Uh, I know. hope it works. Yeah, I, I hope so I too. Hope, hope they do a better job of of uh, advertising it, and then a better job of advertising the cartoons. Than they While you're to. on your little your little tangent there, Jim, uh, just to mention, if no one's seen the Pee Wee remastered Blu-rays, check them out. They are incredible. Yeah, like I said, my daughter's been. Uh, we I played the Pee Wee's Christmas special around Christmas time. And ever since then, she's been you know she's been a big fan of the Pee Wee's Playhouse. So, um, so that's uh, that should about wrap up our DC TV podcast for this week. Uh, if you enjoy television, I imagine you would because you've been listening to a podcast about television now for about an hour and a half. Then I would definitely recommend going to hhwlod.com. Not only do we have a podcast for many of your popular television shows, we have the Walking Dead TV podcast, we have the Ichapod Crane cast uh, covering Sleepy Hollow, we have the It's All Connected cast, which covers the Marvel Studios uh, television output and movie output, and how they're all connected um, into one continuity. Um, All that and a whole lot more, a lot of geeky goodness there, hhwlod.com, check out the whole network. We also have a lot of blogs, updates, uh, press releases, uh, news bites, all kinds of things constantly updating on that page. So check it out, keep it bookmarked, uh, all that good stuff. Please follow our Facebook group. It is called DCTV Podcast. Uh, we got a few new members this week, five new members this week, but uh, we we know we can do better. I know how many people are downloading this show, and, and the amount of members that we have on our Facebook group are a mere fraction of people downloading. So please, uh, by all means, join our Facebook group. We have a lot of really uh, great posters there who keep all the DC news up to date uh, for you there. And uh, we got Raphael and Carlos and, and Frank and, of course, uh, uh, Richard, uh, too, and Daryl. Uh, we're all like uh, putting a lot of news and, and, and bits on there. Um, if you haven't seen the video of, uh, of no, I'm blanking, Emily Bet-Ricard in her bathtub, the bathtub <laughs> yes. therapy. Oh, hilarious. Um, hilarious. You know, hey, hey over. calm down. Calm down. How, to get How over. can she not expect me to stalk her after she posts that oh, kind of thing? She uh, is she's going, adorable. Yeah. She's, she's adorable. But yeah, if you haven't yeah. seen that video, that is on our um, Facebook website. Um, mm-hmm. Our Facebook uh, group site. Um, there's all kinds of, like I said, news. Uh, articles of Easter eggs. you got got uh, Richard doing reviews of uh, the, the Flash and uh, Gotham episodes. We also have links to Aaron Newer's reviews. Um, on Gotham every week, so DC TV podcast. And after you're done doing all that, I know that's a lot to put on your list. Uh, you want to go to the, the Mecca for Geeky Podcasts, Taylor Network of Podcasts, headed by the tycoon himself, my co-host here, and on the Nothing's On podcast on the Taylor Network, Mr. Daryl Taylor himself. And he has so many shows uh, over there: the the No Apologies cast, of course. Uh, Arts and Crap, where, with all your scone movies, the uh, Comic Rack Snark Fest, so many shows over on the Taylor Network. Between that and HHWLOD, we have all your podcasting needs covered, so please check us out. 
And again, Taylor Network, a great site for, for news, for blogs, uh, for reviews, uh, previews, all that kind of stuff. So definitely. My understanding is the Webster's Dictionary people this year are wanting to change the word podcast to TaylorCast. That's how epic it is. That's why Daryl's the tycoon. Until next week, check out all those things, and we will be back with another four new episodes to talk about on DCTV Podcast. Uh, until then, thanks a lot, guys, for joining me, and we are ghosts. Goodbye. Goodbye.